Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome back to California Real Estate Principles, Real Estate 300. This happens to be show number 11. Today, what we're going to be talking about is something called agency and its responsibilities. And uh, before we get started, I just want to remember, remind everyone to uh, make sure that they've downloaded the study guide. Again, I'm sounding like a broken record, but I want to make sure we get this through. You download the study guide. You've looked up all the answers. Remember, uh, the exam, the first midterm exam, is going to be coming up fairly quickly. Also, you have a project in this particular class uh, that you want to, you should be working on. In this particular case, it's the uh, where you're going out and interviewing somebody that is in the real estate business and uh, finding out what it's like to have a career in that industry. And it can be, uh, for example, if you want to be a real estate salesperson, you could be uh, contacting one of the local real estate companies and just, uh, you know, if, if all else fails, call them up uh, from a phone on a, on a sign or on an office or in the phone book and just say, you know, hey, listen, I'm a student at Sacramento City College. I'm taking real estate principles. I'm very interested in a career in real estate or I'd like to find out something about it. Do you mind if I come in and talk to one of your agents and find out what it's like to have a career in this business? That's simple. Not anything more complicated than that. If you happen to be interested in another area like appraisal or law or, or planning, working for a county or city planning department, then go down and talk to those people. The idea in mind is that what you don't want to do is be investing a lot of time and an effort and taking a lot of classes with that at the same time trying to focus your attention on what your target is eventually going to be. And that could change, but you really kind of want to go out there and do a little bit of research and find out what it's like to have a career in this industry. So anyway, what I want to do now is um, also remind you that, remember, your first midterm exam is coming up very quickly. What you're going to want to do is down, go to the uh, Blackboard website, look underneath the link that says uh, when the, uh, the date for the first exam is. It'll tell you on there. It'll talk about the exam dates. Make sure you have the right date and the time that you come in. Remember, you'll need to bring a pencil with you, number, number two pencil, and Scantron 882. So very important. Make sure you do all that. Anyway, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to be talking about agency and its responsibilities. And what I wanted to do is uh, just kind of start off a little bit and talk about some definitions and give you an overall perspective. The concept is, is that when you're dealing with uh, when the community or, or consumers are getting ready to either sell their house or it could be a house, it could be a condo, a townhouse, it could be an office building, it could be a shopping center. It doesn't make any difference whatever it is. But typically, in most real estate transactions, you normally have a real estate salesperson who is going to be working with you to list the house for sale. Conversely, if you're going out and you're looking to buy property, and maybe on a weekend you're going out and you're touring a bunch of open houses, you're looking at open house signs, you're walking through those houses, or even if you're looking to buy investment property, typically you're going to be working with an, a real estate agent. So it becomes important as you understand something that we talk about now called an agency relationship and how we establish that agency relationship and then what the responsibilities happen to be for the real estate agent in that relationship. What, you know, In other words, what are they supposed to disclose? What information should they give you? Uh, can you fire them? In other words, if you hire an agent and they're not working out, can you say, I'm sorry, this is not working out, I need to go find somebody else, can you do that? So we're going to be talking about that stuff. 
The thing that we want to start out with, though, is normal is we want to start out with some definitions. We want to know what those definitions really mean so as we read the material, we have a better feeling for them. So I'm going to be moving over here to, again, as I usually call it, my old friendly document camera, and be pulling up some, ta uh, some words and then some definitions to go with it and explain exactly what that happens to be. So as I go over here and I look at the book, uh, what we do is we have something called an agency overview. Down here, I'll move this up a little bit so it's easier to see. We talk about that we're going to have three definitions that we need to know what they happen to be when we're talking about this relationship. We have an agent, we have a principal, and we have a third party. So we need to know what these happen to be. And over here in the green area, as usual, they're emphasizing certain points that we need to keep in mind. It says that the seller grants the right to sell and the broker agrees to use due diligence in obtaining a purchaser. This is called an agency. Now, just before we get started, one of the things that I want to mention to you is that an agent is somebody like, for example, in the sports business. If you happen to be an athlete, you'll hire somebody called an agent, and that person will typically go out and negotiate your contracts for you with the football team or the baseball team or whatever. They'll negotiate your commercials. They'll do all of that. So in that kind of a business, we have somebody called an agent. Same thing when we're talking about somebody that's going to be an actor or an actress. We hear about how they have a travel, not a travel, but they have a, a, a talent agent, somebody that's marketing that uh, actor or actress to people that are looking to hire their services. So they sign a contract. So an agency, you're kind of familiar with that kind of a term where you're actually hiring somebody to represent your interests. So anyway, to go back to this for a minute, what we talk about is an agent, first of all, an agent or an agency is the authority or the power to act for or in place of another, a principal person who hires in a specific act for a stated period of time. An agent is one who acts for and with the authority from another called the principal. Now, what this essentially means is that, for example, if I want to sell my home, what I typically would do Normal people, or not normal, let's say not normal people, but usually people will turn around and say, you know, I really don't know a lot about real estate, or I know something about it, but I don't understand all the disclosures, all the laws, all the rules. I really don't want to be somebody that's going to have people knocking on the door at 9 o'clock at night and wanting to see my house. Uh, you know, I need to get this house sold because I have to buy another house. I don't want to get stuck with two house payments. I'm moving out of town. So what I want to do is I want to hire a real estate agent to help me. The normal thing on the seller's side, what would happen is that you would probably call a real estate company up or a real estate agent. How would you find them? You could be a referral from a friend where they've had a very good experience working with a real estate agent. It could be from, you may, for example, if you're the owner of the property, maybe you've been driving around, you've noticed that there's one or two agents in the local community that seems to be selling all the property, seems to know a lot about it. Maybe you get a newsletter on a monthly basis that talks to, you about, talks to you about topics in real estate and what's happening in the real estate business. In fact, a lot of agents nowadays will send out newsletters that will talk about, you know, these are the homes that sold in your local community in the last month and how long they were on the market and how much they sold for them. People are usually interested in that. But anyway, there's a lot of different ways that you would find this person called an agent. Typically what would happen is you'd call this person up, you would ask them if they could come over, you know, when they had a chance, if they could come over and take a look at your house. 
Uh, many times people will say that it's a good idea to have maybe two or three agents come over and take a look at the house. It's like anything else that you buy, whether it be a car or a service or whatever. It's many times a good idea to maybe talk to several different people and get their opinion and advice and find out. If you interview two or three people, maybe you'll find out if this person happens to be somebody that fits with you. In other words, you feel comfortable working with this agent or whatever. The one thing you do have to be careful of as you do this interview process, and also if you're an agent on the other side, is that you're really telling the client the truth. If you're the client, you need to make sure that you're asking good, hard questions. When an agent tells you, oh, we'll put the house on the market and list it for any price that you want, you really need to be, you know, taking a look at that and saying, well, wait a minute, you know, if you're, you know, what are the houses selling for in the area? How long have they been on the market for? What condition are they in? So you need to know all of that. Uh, to make your final decision on which person you're going to actually hire. But once you make that decision and you hire that agent, what you're going to do is you're going to be signing a contract, and that's called a listing agreement. And in that listing agreement, you're going to be giving, and we'll be talking about that later, you're going to be giving the agent the authority in writing to represent you in, the, in trying to help you find somebody to buy your home. Okay, And that's what the agent's going to be doing. You're going to tell them or you're going to discuss what the listing happens to be for, how long it's going to last, what your price is going to be, what terms you're willing to accept. And, uh, again, when I say time, you may have a listing agreement that may last for, you know, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days, whatever. You, so you're going to have a time limit on how long you're going to be, if you're, if you're the owner of the property, how long you're going to or how long you're going to give this person the opportunity to try to sell the property. And for an agent, if you're the agent, that happens to be the length of your employment agreement. At the end of that agreement, if you're not doing your job, they could terminate you and go find somebody else. So anyway, that's a very important point. But you're an agent, and you're hiring this person to help represent you. Conversely, that's if you're trying to list the house for sale. You could also be where you're out on a weekend, and maybe you're looking at a lot of different homes. And you walk into one of the homes that are for sale, that's an open house, and you look at the house, and the house, maybe it may fit your needs, it may not, but you're talking to the agent, and you finally realize this agent is pretty knowledgeable. You really like them quite a bit. You think that they would really be a good choice on your part to pick to help you find a home, and you will actually turn around and ask them, would you help me? Or they may ask you, do you want me to help you? And if you say yes, they will help you go out and find a home. They'll go by, try to help you qualify, figure out how much you can afford to buy. They will uh, make a list of properties in the area that you're interested in. You know, for example, if you want a three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage with a swimming pool, they'll pull those properties up. They'll take them, show you those properties. Uh, they'll help you uh, make an offer on the home. Anyway, in that particular case, that agent would be representing not the seller, but be representing the buyer. But again, they are representing your interests. So anyway, that's what the agent part does. Now, the next thing that we want to talk about is what is the second person in this equation, if you will. The term that they use is the principal. Okay? And the principal, in reality, is the client. This is the person that is employing the agent. So it says the principal is a person who hires or employs an agent to work for him or her. If the principal is a buyer, the agent represents the buyer. On the other hand, if the principal is the seller, the agent represents the seller. 
Okay, so the principal is the person that's hiring the agent to go to work for them. So if I want to sell my house and I want that agent to represent me in trying to find a buyer, that's, they're working for me. On the other hand, if I go out and I'm looking to buy a house and they're helping me buy the house, that agent is working for the buyer. You can also have, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, where you have an agent that has a dual role or a dual agency responsibility, and they represent both the seller and the buyer, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, the third thing that you'll have is somebody called the third party. In other words, the part, it's not the agent, it's not the principal who hired them, it's a third party. So we have to have a definition for that. So it says a third party is the other person in the contractual negotiation other than the principal and his or her agent. If the agent works for the seller, then the third party is the buyer. But if the agent works for the buyer, the third party is the seller. In effect, the agent is the second party in the transaction. So that kind of gives you an idea that we have three parties to this. We have the agent, we have the principal, and we have a third party. Okay, to give you an example of the third party, that could quite literally be where I list a house for sale. My agent goes and advertises it. That agent gets an offer from another agent that works for another company. That agent that works for the other company represents the buyer. That buyer is considered to be the third party in the transaction. Okay. Now, uh, moving on from there, uh, a couple other terms that we want to make sure that we understand, and that's just by definitions because we hear these all the time, is that typically when we talk about a real estate agent, you know, a real estate agent is somebody that is licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. Uh, one of the things that we may do, we may call this person a real estate agent, but they may either have a salesperson's license or they could have a broker's license, but we're still going to call them a real estate agent. Okay, From our perspective, unless we're trying to qualify them as to hiring them or not, and whether we think these, whether it's a salesperson or having a broker's license is more important than just having a sales license, it's still we still call them a real estate agent. Okay. The other thing that we want to do is we want to keep in mind that what is a real estate broker, because we're going to be throwing those terms around. And as it, we talked about before, but a real estate broker is a license holder. That's the boss, the one that's in charge, the owner, and therefore permitted by law to employ those individuals holding a salesperson's license or another broker. So you will have, for example, a real estate broker, which would be an individual that would maybe have a real estate company. It could be a, a franchise. It could be you know, like a Century 21. It could have, uh, they own the company, so it could be a Pat Hogarty real estate company or whatever. But that broker is the one that has the real estate license, and then the salespeople work for the broker. What the broker is responsible for doing is managing, if you will, the way I think about it, their professional activities. So what that means is the broker is responsible for doing things like looking at their listing agreements to make sure that they're not making any mistakes when they make out the listing agreement. If they're making an offer, the broker is responsible for taking a look at that to see if there's any mistakes or any addendums, any agreements. So they're more or less supervising the professional activities of the real estate salesperson or if that real estate broker works for another broker, that broker's responsibility. Uh, 
day-to-day professional duties. Why? Because the broker that holds the license that everybody's working for is responsible for those people's activities. They are not responsible for what time they come to work. They are not responsible for what time they take a coffee break or, uh, you know, when they go to lunch or when they come back, but they are responsible for making sure that the contracts are filled out correctly and meet all of their legal requirements. Uh, the other thing that we'll talk about sometimes is you hear the term real estate associate. We use the term associate a lot of times in a lot of different areas, but a real estate associate or an associate license is another name for a real estate salesperson. An associate works for a broker as either an employee or an independent contractor. When they use the term independent contractor, is this is that you could have a situation where you have a sales license and you actually do work for a real estate broker, and then maybe that broker pays you a salary. That is a possibility. In most cases, though, in most of the real estate activity you're going to see, especially in the resale market, that person works for maybe, they say, Century 21, Keller Williams, Remax, or whatever, but in reality they're an independent contractor, meaning that they file their own 1099, their own tax returns, everything else. It's like their own business. Okay, so I think we've covered that pretty well. Um, the next thing that I wanted to do is talk about a few other terms that are in the book that I think that are important. Uh, they talk about the fact that uh, the law of agency is found in the civil code, and it's just so that you're familiar with where this is. It says real estate brokers are agents because they represent an interest in other than their own buyer or sellers. A written agency contract listing exists for which they may receive compensation if the sale uh, happens. Whenever one person represents another in business transaction, the law of agency applies. So that's what they're talking about here. Now, here's some of the responsibilities that you have when you have an agency relationship with a client. And then we'll show, about, uh, show it again, and I'll have, I think, maybe one or two more definitions before we move on. It says the civil code, or California civil code, the law of agency boils down to the basic three rules applying to a licensed broker or a licensed salesperson. Number one, the agent must inform the principal of all facts pertaining to the handling of the principal's property. The agent must put the client's interest above the interest of their, themselves or others. So that means every single solitary thing that comes up. For example, if an agent receives an offer, and that offer in the agent's opinion is ridiculous, you know, maybe it's far below what the price asking price is, or it's got some kind of silly terms, the agent still is responsible for informing and letting the client see that offer, not just turn around and tear it up and throw it away. If the agent sees anything that uh, is going to have any kind of a material effect on the decision of the person to sell the property the person or the person to buy the property, they need to make sure that's disclosed. And also, because they have something called the fiduciary responsibility, which we'll talk about in a minute, that means that if the agent is sitting there, and the choice is, if the deal goes, they can make the car payment, 
but it's really not in the client's best interest, and they need to take and do whatever's in the client's best interest. They need to be sitting there as an agent and thinking, this is just like as if I was selling my property. I have to put the client's interest before mine. So very, very important that you do that. And if you don't do that, and later on you're sued for something, they can come back and say you had a fiduciary responsibility and you didn't uphold that, and therefore we can sue you over it or maybe take your license away or something along that line. The next thing is the agent may not gain any monetary interest in the property without the principal's prior consent. That means, for example, if you're selling, and you've got to be very careful with this if you're a real estate agent. For example, I sold a house a couple years ago. The agent that was representing the buyer, that happened to be a relative of theirs. I think it was a sister or brother. I believe it was a sister. It was disclosed to me that this person that they were helping to assist or assist in buying the property was a relative of theirs. Very, very important. We want to make sure we disclose all those things that might be material facts also. For example, if you are selling a property and you're thinking, you know what, I'm probably going to buy a piece of that property, or maybe this is a really good deal and maybe my friend will buy it and I'll buy it, or I'll have some sort of something along that line, you need to disclose that to the client. It's very important for them to know. Or if you're making some kind of profit that's not evident in, in the contract, because the only profit that you're allowed to make in this particular contract when you sign it is the compensation, which is the commission. If you're making profit doing something else, you need to disclose that to the client. Very, very important that you do that. The last thing is, is an agent may not use the principal's property to his or her own advantage. You know, for example, that's why when we talk about the types of listing agreements, why when we have something like a net listing agreement or we cannot, you just cannot take advantage. You have to be very careful. I mean, the pro, you may be looking at a client, for example, that you know that these people are desperate. They have to sell their house. Maybe they're going to go to foreclosure. Maybe they're trying to avoid bankruptcy. Maybe they need to move. There's some critical thing. You cannot take advantage of that information. You have to help that client obtain the best possible price and terms for the sale of their property. Conversely, the same thing if you're representing the buyer. You have to help. Maybe the buyer is desperate. Maybe the buyer has to buy now. Maybe that's the only house that the, that's in the area that the buyer can afford to buy. You don't go and tell that to the seller. Okay, So you have to be very, very careful about what you disclose to those parties. And you're holding the client's uh, uh, the client, uh, or you're putting all the client's, uh, if you will, needs and desires ahead of yours. That's, I guess that's maybe the way I would want to say that. Uh, next thing is, is we hear this term, fiduciary, so let's see if we can kind of define it a little bit. It says a fiduciary is a person acting in a position of trust. So in other words, when you're working with your client, your client trusts you that you are taking care of them. So it's a really high degree, it's a very high relationship you have with somebody. So trust and confidence in a business relationship. Fiduciary uh, relationship requires the highest good faith from the agent to his or her principal. An agent must act as though he or she is the principal and always seek to represent the principal's best interest. In this case, the agent takes on the responsibility of diligently finding a buyer or a seller. Okay, so very, very important. They go on from there, and then I'll, I'll uh, 
talk about the different types of listing agreements. What they do here is they have this little document or a little graphic here. And what they're just doing is trying to break up these responsibilities of these duties. And they're saying, okay, here's the fiduciary responsibility. This is the person that's hiring you. Okay? So this would be your relationship with, say, the seller. This is the third party. So what you have here is, is that if you have a principal, you have to be honest, disclose all material facts to them, everything that is important about the transaction you need to do. You have to have utmost care. You have to have integrity and accounting for all your actions, whatever they may be, either money or physical actions or paperwork or whatever. You have to be loyal, which means <laughs> loyalty. Uh, you have to obey lawful instructions because, remember, what they're doing, too, is they're telling you things. You're working for them. So they're saying reduce the price, lay, raise the price, uh, you know, get a better deal, whatever that happens to be. Those are the instructions. That's your boss, the client. And finally, the, you can't have any secret profits. On the other hand, over here, this is the third party, which you're supposed to be disclosing to the third party. Number one, you need to be just honest and disclose all the material facts. You have to be reasonable, skill and care in working with them. You have to be fair dealing, fair, okay, not cave in, but fair, because you're really representing the seller. And you have to have good faith. So they have to know that you're honest and truthful and trustworthy and all that. But on the other hand, you're not telling them that your seller is desperate and needs to sell the property or they're getting a divorce tomorrow and they need to get rid of it. You don't do things like that, okay? Very, very important. Okay. So we've kind of covered that. A uh, couple things that we want to talk about besides that. Um, let me see if I can find what it is that I'm looking for. Okay. One other thing that this talks about here, and I'm going to blow this up a little bit so you can see it on the TV, is that you will hear people talking about working with the growth of buyer brokerages. And this always seems to go back and forth every so many years. You know, what will happen is you will hear that some people, agents, will feel that, that they can only represent buyers well. They feel that, you know, if they, they say if you represent both the buyer and the seller, you really can't be fair and honest to both of them. And so what will end up happening is people will say, you know what, I'm going to work with buyers and buyers only. I won't work with sellers. In fact, there have been times in which real estate companies have actually said, you know what, I'm going, when somebody walks in and wants to buy a house, I'm going to have them sign a buyer's listing agreement. I'm going to have them hire me. Uh, if I find the house that they're looking for, they're going to pay me whether they buy it or not. So you'll see people that will take that kind of attack. Um, the thing to keep in mind is, from a business sense, is if you look at the real estate cycle, it's up and down all the time. There are times, believe it or not, this happens to be one of those times now where the interest rates have been going up. Probably most real estate agents are going to find out that they have more listings than they had a couple of years ago. So consequently, they're going to find out that, you know, they just have more listings. A couple of years ago, they probably had a difficult time getting listings and they had more buyers. The real sense of what should be going on is, is that you should keep in mind that you're going to probably have a mix. Every so many years, there's going to be years that you'll have more buyers and less sellers, or more sellers and less buyers. One of the agents that we had come in here one time, his name is Carrie Lane, said something I thought was very important. He's a very high producer for Remax. He said, you really, in order for you to stay in business, you have to have a good mix. Because what happens is, is if you list a property for sale, 
after you sell that property, in a lot of cases, the client moves out of town, you know, moves to Connecticut, moves to New York, moves to Hawaii, moves to Los Angeles. And with them goes the ability for them to refer business back to you to help your business continue to grow. So, But when you work with a buyer, the buyer comes in, they buy a property. If they like the relationship that you've created with them, they like the services you provided, they may very well know somebody else that's moving into the community, and they say, you know what, hire this guy by the name of Kerry Lane. He's really good. He did a great job. He helped me out buying a house. And you're going to find out you're going to get generate a lot of business from that. So it's going to be up and down. But you never, I personally don't feel, and a lot of agents that I know that do really well in the business don't feel that you should just isolate and say, I only work with listings or I only work with buyers. You work with both. And you're honest and truthful and you understand fiduciary responsibilities and you have that ability to work with both sides and realize that the market is always changing. Very, very important, at least in my opinion. Uh, what we want to do now is talk a little bit about when you're working with a buyer and a seller, and I know that you probably cannot see this clearly on the TV screen, so I'll tell you a little bit about it. Uh, what this is, is this is called the Disclosure Statement. It's created by the California Association of Realtors. The concept behind this is that you are disclosing to the clients what kind of a relationship that you have. So, for example, if you list a property for sale, you're disclosing to the, the person you're working with, who's the seller, that you what kind of a relationship you have. You have a listing relationship. You're going to hold them, you know, in high esteem. You have fiduciary responsibility. If, on the other hand, you all of a sudden happen to also end up representing the buyer at the same time, you need to disclose to the buyer what sort of a relationship you have with the seller, and you need to disclose to the seller what kind of a relationship you have with the buyer. It's very important that you do that. And you'll find out as you go along in this business, disclosures are very, very important. Very important. In fact, every time you see a disclosure, it's usually the result of some form of abuse that has been going on. And the idea behind it is, hey, listen, let's make the clients smarter. Let's explain to them what's going on. Let them have some sort of a document to make sure that they have read it and understand it and know what's really going on. So what you're going to find out is, that what they talk about in the book underneath this disclosure statement, that this document has three different parts. Up at the top, and I'll blow it up in a minute, is you have a seller's agent and what they do. Down below, you have a buyer's agent and what they do. And then here you have an agent that's representing both sides, both the buyer and the seller. So I'll blow it up a little bit. You won't be able to see the whole thing on TV, but I'll blow it up just so you have an idea. This is the part that deals with the seller's agent to inform them. This is the buyer's agent. And then this is what we call the dual agency. Okay, so you're informing them of what's going on. When you look down the bottom of this contract, what you're seeing is that these people are supposed to read this and acknowledge and sign that they read and understand this document, just so that they know what's basically going on. Very, very important. And I feel... And all of the dealings that I've ever had with anything, whether it's teaching school, no matter whether it's real estate or whatever, if you're above board and tell people, they may not realize it, but you're going to find out that you're the only one that, you, you know, you might be one of the few people that are actually taking the time to explain this to them to make sure they understand it. Very important fact. Okay. 
Now we want to go on to the different types of listing agreements that you may have. Okay, Listing agreements have to do with, uh, you know, this is your employment contract. Okay, And typically what will happen in the real estate business is that this contract is in writing. It's a written contract. You're going to find out that real estate contracts uh, with a business, uh, I'm trying to remember the right uh, code right now, but anyway, business professions code, uh, ethics, and everything else have to be in writing. It's one of the requirements, and I'll look it up in a minute as we go along. These contracts have to be in writing, spelling out exactly what they're going to do. And there's different types of listing agreements. So I'm going to go through each one of them. So it says here, a listing the usual way to establish a broker's right to negotiate a sale of property is through a written contract commonly called a listing. A listing is a contract to employ a broker, legally referred to as the agent, to do certain things for the owner, for example, the seller, if it is an employment contract for the purposes of service. So you're actually hiring this person, you're employing them, to do this service for you. That's the point of this. Now, the types of listings that you would have are these, and we'll talk about them in more detail. They break them down to basically six types. And um, let me see if I can blow this up here for a minute. Okay, We're going to be talking about this. There's the first one is something called an open listing, non-exclusive. The second one is an exclusive agency listing. The third is exclusive right to sell listing. The fourth is a net listing. The fifth is an option listing. And the sixth is an oral listing not discussed here for, for various reasons. So here's what happens. I like to think on both sides or both spectrums. On one side, you have an, a listing. An open listing is where you basically let everybody know that the property is for sale that if they happen to find somebody that is ready, willing, and able to buy the property, that you're going to go ahead and pay them a commission for doing that. But you're also reserving the right that in the event that you find somebody in the meantime to buy it, that you can sell it on your own and not pay them a commission. Okay, that's an open listing. And so I'll kind of read this out here as we go through to reinforce what I'm saying. An open listing is the authorization to sell property. It may be given to several brokers or the property may be sold by the owner. So in other words, an open listing is where you say, whoever manages to sell this, whether it's Colwell Banker, Keller Williams, Remax, Century 21, whoever it happens to be, whoever sells it, I'm going to pay a commission. But again, if the property happens to be sold by the owner, then those agents get paid no commission at all. And let me give you an example. You may tell or may give this listing to several different people, and then all of a sudden one night what ends up happening is that you get a knock on the door about 7 o'clock at night. And maybe the reason why those people even stopped by and saw that is because maybe they saw an agent sign on the property or maybe they saw an ad in the paper, something along that line. Something generated them to know that the house was for sale. They walk in, they see the house, they love the house, and they say, you know what, I want to buy it. You're the owner of the property. You have them sign the contract. You sell the property. All those agents that worked and did any work on it get paid no commission because of this kind of a listing agreement. It's only when they actually find the buyer, okay, 
and they actually negotiate the sales when they're going to be paid a commission. Okay, so that's the one extreme, if you will. Um, down below here, they just this is just more or less for academic purposes. If the owner sells the property, he or she uh, is not required to pay a commission. Usually no limited uh, time limit is placed on an open listing. A description of the property is included in the agreement along with the selling price and other terms. Okay, You're going to find out that a lot of these types of things that they talk in the book, and the reason why I say it's an academic thing to let you know, that unless the market, usually when people would have, say, an open listing, would be where the market was really hot, really a hot market. What I mean by that is, in other words, like it was a few years ago. If you even breathe the word that there was a house for sale on the street, chances are, if you do that in the morning, chances are by that evening you probably had an offer on the sale of a house, probably. There was an article in the Sacramento Bee a couple years ago, maybe it was about a year and a half ago, in which a house that needed a lot of work had 67 offers on the house. This was in the Sacramento Bee. I didn't make this up. I wish I would have kept the article. And, and, and during that period of time, you even, had, you even had people, for example, that would go out, take a look at a house. The agent would comb the, open, uh, the listings in the morning. You know, hopefully they got there first. They would call the clients up. And if they didn't have an offer in by you know, 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, the property was probably, you know, would probably be sold. You had where people had backup offers. So, you know, in other words, like they would take an offer, and if that didn't, it fell through, there would be somebody standing right behind them willing to buy the house. So really hot market. The owner probably maybe would have an opportunity to sell it. Okay, so that's that kind of a market works real well. We're not in that market right now. We're in the market right now where people that are owning property that need to sell it are calling up real estate agents saying, please, can you come over here and help me out? I need some help to get rid of this house. Okay, so that's the first one. The second kind of listing that you would see <clears throat> is something called an exclusive agency listing. And what happens here is that you're only dealing with one agency. So you're not dealing with a lot of different companies. You're dealing with one agency. So in this case, an exclusive agency listing is a listing providing that only one agent, the listing broker, has the right to be the only person other than the owner to sell the property during a specific period of time and earn a commission. Okay. So in other words, that would be, for example, like a Century 21 office had this listing. And uh, part of this uh, exclusive agency listing was as if the seller happened to find somebody, they wouldn't have to pay the commission. Keep in mind, too, is as you move from the left, where you have a hot market all the way over to the other extreme, that uh, as, as it gets tougher and tougher to sell houses, a lot of agents, you know, you included, would probably be somebody to say something like, listen, I'm not going to put a lot of time and a lot of effort out to try to sell this house if I don't know that I'm going to get paid a commission. I mean, think of it. A lot of us are not going to go to work. If we had to go to work every day and turn around and say, well, you know, I went in, I worked real hard today, I dug ditches, sold cars, I cooked food, I did something else, and by the way, at the end of the day, the boss decided not to pay me. And that's okay because I'm going to go right back tomorrow and do the same thing again. I don't think many people would keep doing that. They'd say, you know what, I will work for you, but I want to make sure I'm going to get paid. You know, this is not a free lunch. i got to pay for gas and everything else. And by the way, if you don't want to pay me, go find somebody else. You know, that kind of a thing. You would do the same thing if you were the one that, if your boss was trying to do that to you. 
The next type of a listing is called an exclusive right to sell, and this is the most common type. Uh, the most common type of listing is the exclusive right to sell. Only the exclusive right to sell listing entitles the listing broker to named in the agency contract to a commission even if the seller sells the property. Now, let me tell you why this is really important. When you're a real estate agent, you're only going to get earned money if you're in the sales business when you sell the property. In other words, when your listing sells or your buyer buys the property and that whole transaction goes through escrow, is closed, and you pick up your commission check. That's the only time you're going to earn any money. Now, when you get ready to list this property for sale, somebody has a house for sale, once you list that property for sale, you're going to start putting out a lot of money out of your pocket. You know, for example, you're going to drive out, take a bunch of measurements. You're going to, you know, do a bunch of analysis. You're going to finally get a listing agreement. You're going to come back. You're going to have your broker go over the listing agreement, make sure there's nothing that you miss, which is always a good idea, no matter what. I still do that when I'm doing stuff in my office. I have, you know, here at the college, I have somebody else look over and make sure I didn't make a mistake. Now, once you do that, then you're going to start paying fees. You're going to put it in the multiple listing service. You're going to start putting signs up. You're going to call somebody out to put a sign up in front of the house. You're going to print flyers. You're going to start running ads in the newspaper. You're going to start putting out a lot of money. And so what you really want as a real estate agent, you want to have a reasonable chance to sell that property and make a, make a commission. You know, this is not the Pat Hogarty free real estate program, okay? In other words, you want to make some money. So you know that you need to have a certain amount of time. You know that, if it, you know, for example, in today's market, you may need 60, 90 days or more to actually market the property properly. Uh, the reason why is because maybe you have to get as many people to come through and take a look at that house because there's a lot of houses on the market. It may take a lot of different changes along the way. You may have to get somebody to come in and help stage the home, make it look better. Uh, maybe clean it up, maybe different kinds of advertising programs. There might be a lot of work you're going to put in to finally sell the home. Well, you don't want to do all that work only to find out you're not going to get paid. I don't want to. If somebody wants me to do that, <clears throat> I can refer them someplace else. I'll go find somebody else that will do it for free, you know, or send them down the street. So this is an agreement that I would want, okay? And I also think for a seller's standpoint, if the seller honestly and truly wants to sell the property, then they need to realize they're going to have to pay to have that done. They're going to have to pay a commission. And anybody that tells them they're not going to have to pay a commission is maybe not going to work that hard for them. <clears throat> or maybe they're independently wealthy and they have another source of income and they're going to be able to do it for free, but not me. Okay. So anyway, that's an exclusive right to sell. The other kinds of agreements that we may have is something called, which is very rarely used, it's called a net listing agreement. And they say it's very rarely used, and the reason why, and I'll read what it says and then we'll go over it. It says the net listing agreement, providing that the agent agrees to sell the owner's property for a set minimum price, any amount over that minimum amount is retained by the agent as commission. So what this would mean is, that you would maybe go out to an owner's home. Maybe the seller was needed to sell the house. Uh, maybe, based on calculations, in order for them to get the money out that they need to get out, they need to sell it for $300,000. And they said, listen, we'll list the house for $300,000. If you sell it for any more money than that, it's, you keep that commission. Well, I think the reason why there's a problem with it is for a couple reasons. Number one is that as a real estate agent, when you're listing a house, one of the jobs that you're really responsible for is to help that person that owns that property 
establish a good sales price. So when you sit down with them and meet with them, you need to be saying to them, listen, this is the research that I have done. These are the houses in the area that are selling. This is how long they stay on the market. This is the kind of amenities they have. This is what the price has been. This is the market is either going up or down. You need to talk those things over. If you're going to go out and get the client a certain amount of money, and then, and then you're going to get the rest of it, I think you could possibly down the line get yourself in trouble where maybe you haven't advised the client properly. You know, uh, you may, for example, if, if you can't even get the data to help substantiate the price, you may actually even advise the client to get an appraisal. You know, so your job is to help inform them about what the best price and the best terms are based on your knowledge and experience. And if you're, if you're not, if they're selling it for less, than that on the net, and you know that you're going to make a lot more money, there's a chance you could come back, I think at least, and be sued later on for not properly advising them or taking advantage of the situation. That's all I really want to say about that. I think that's why that happens to be that way. A couple other listings that they have here, they talk about an option listing. An option listing uh, broker, the right to purchase the property. A broker with an option listing must disclose to prospective buyers that he or she is acting as a principal and present all offers fairly. Um, give you an example here what this is. It says, uh, prior uh, example, broker Abel listed a property from the seller Baker. I wish they wouldn't do this. Okay, They make it sound complicated, but you have somebody that listed the property. Okay, so Abel listed the property, uh, and then all, I'm sorry, broker Abel listed a property from seller Baker, okay, and reserved an option to purchase the property himself. If the Abel exercises the option, he must obtain written consent from the seller, Baker, which discloses the amount of profit or anticipated profit he will receive. I've, the times that I've seen these kinds of things come up is where maybe you'd have some kind of a guarantee sale program. You know, that's where my experience has been. Maybe some other agents would have some other advice. But basically, especially when the market gets tough to move property, you may very well have where the broker may say, listen, we'll put it on the market, or brokerages have in the past, and say, we'll put it on the market, we're going to work real hard to sell it, but if we can't sell it within this period of time, we'll, we'll guarantee you that we or we'll buy the property or have the ability to buy the property at a set price ahead of time. That would be something that I would basically see where if, it, if the property meets the certain conditions and the price is right, the broker will buy it. Okay? If not, they'll, they won't buy it. That's what we're talking about here. And we have to right, find the right circumstances to make that work. Uh, last, a couple other things that we need to point out here is that once your client signs this listing agreement, which we'll talk about here in a minute, you need to make sure that you give clients copies of all of the agreements that they sign. So it says a copy of the listing agreement and any other real estate agreement, including the agency relationship form, the transfer <coughs> disclosure statement, must be given to the signing party immediately after they've signed so that they know what they signed. In fact, most good agents will usually start giving the client some kind of a file folder to start putting these documents in them so that they can keep them organized. And the reason why they may do that is because what will end up happening is, is that maybe the agent will call the, buy, the seller up maybe next, next day or a couple days later and say, I want to talk to you about something in the listing agreement or something about the purchase offer or whatever, 
and they'll say, could you get your copy of the agreement out and you can talk about it on the phone, okay? And also, you know, you also have a copy of what you signed, so you know what you signed. Very important. This is a requirement of the commissioner's regulations, meaning the real estate commissioner, and is a violation could result in license suspension or revocation. Okay, now I'm going to take a minute and go over what this listing agreement looks like. And you have a copy, if I can find this here, starting on this page. A couple things I want to point out before we get started is, first of all, when you look at this agreement, please be aware of the fact that this agreement has been uh, has been produced and reviewed by the California Association of Realtors. Very, very important because they make sure that these documents are kept up to snuff as far as you know the law goes. If the law changes, they make sure that it's um, put in this particular document. And also up here is the title. This happens to be a residential listing agreement. It's exclusive listing agreement, okay, right to sell. Now what I'm going to do is just point out a couple of the categories down here so that you're aware of what's in this agreement. I'll probably read it because it's a little bit hard to see on TV. This starts out by exclusive right to sell, okay? And what this is is that you're saying um, exclusive right to sell the seller, and you're naming who the seller happens to be right here. Uh, hereby grants and employs, and this is where you put the name of the broker, in here that you're employing. Down below, you put the date that the contract goes into effect. So in other words, when does this contract start? Does it start, you know, starts today or whatever date that it starts with? Also, what day does it end? You'll find that listing agreements will typically start on a certain day and end on a certain day. And normally what ends up happening is that the agent or you as the agent want to make sure that you have a sufficient amount of time to do all the things that are necessary for you to sell the property. In other words, if you're going to list a piece of property for sale, typically most property for some unknown reason, no matter how hard you work on it, usually seem to take about 30 days to 45 days to sell. Uh, why? Because the buyer has to get financing. There has to be an appraisal done. There has to be a termite inspection. There has to be probably in today's market a home inspection done on it. The title company has to do the title search. There has to be loan documents ordered, on and on and on. All these activities take time. So that's why I say usually 30, 30, you know, if it's, if it's the, if the offer is accepted, usually unless you have some way to really work very hard, and it's going to take 30 to 45 days to sell it if you happen to have somebody in mind and they make the offer and it's accepted the first couple days because of all these people. You know, you can have where everything's going along well, but all of a sudden the termite guy finds something wrong that's going to take some time to fix. Or the guy that does the home inspector finds something wrong with the roof. Or there's some defect on the title. All of these things have a material effect and can, and can de delay this period of time. But you want to make sure you have enough time to handle all of these factors, if you will. Down below here, you have a couple other things. You want to list the county in which it's located in. This is the assessor's parcel number. We've talked about this before. This assessor's parcel number is every single piece of property, you know, you know, uh, that's owned by, if you will, by you know the private sector, you know, like individuals or companies, has to pay property tax. And what ends up happening is just like you would have a MasterCard where you would call up and say, what do I owe on my card? And you'd have a number. 
each property has an assessor's parcel number in which they keep track of the taxes, the property taxes, when they're due, if they're paid or not paid. So that's the number that you put in right here. This is uh, where you're describing the property. Down below here, you're talking about uh, any items, additional items that are excluded or any items that are included in the sale of the property. So in other words, I'm going to exclude, I'm not going to sell the drapes with the house or the drapes go with the house or, you know, these carpets go or they stay or the, or the dishwasher goes or stays, whatever. We're talking about what's included and excluded in the sale. Down below, you have the listing price. What is the listing price shall be? And then the dollar amount written out. And then any kind of other additional terms that you would may have on the agreement, whatever those terms happen to be. Like, uh, for example, seller is going to lease the property back for three weeks after the sale. Or, you know, whatever the terms are, any special terms would be an area where you could put those in. Down below here is you talk about something called the seller agrees to pay the broker a compensation, which is going to be their commission. That's where that goes in there. Uh, down below here, uh, it's just talking about this agreement as we go by. Okay, so all these things are all talking about mainly compensation to the to the to the agent. You know, how are they going to get paid? Okay, so that's the first part of the agreement. The second part is going back to the owner, saying that the uh, seller, this is where, and we talk about this, by the way, in, in how we transfer property. What the seller is really doing here, the person that signs this, is saying that they warrant, you know, like a warranty, that they actually own this property, okay, that not somebody else owns the property. They own the property, and they haven't sold it to somebody else, Okay. This talks about the multiple listing service that the property is going to be put into the multiple listing service and exposed to a lot of other agents who can typically sell it. Usually what ends up happening is the minute you list the property for sale, one of the things that good agents will normally do within the first week or so is that they will go and put it on the MLS, what we call the MLS tour. Uh, after the MLS meeting or, or the, uh, if you, uh, what will happen is, is that all the agents go on these tours of all the new listings. And uh, you're just letting people know that, you know, the house is going to be put in there. So you may actually have, for example, you might be the one that lists the house for sale, but in most cases it might be one of those agents that belongs to MLS, MLS that actually find, has a buyer that's able to buy the house. Okay. Um, this is talking about seller representations. Uh, this is the brokers, uh, brokers and sellers' duties and responsibilities. This is talking about the deposit, what's going to happen with the deposit when you receive monies, where it's going to go. This is a disclosure. This is talking about disclosure. Uh, the possibility of you ending up when you list it, you may also be representing the buyer. So the possibility of you having a dual agency is listed here. This is talking about security and insurance. And again, I'm, you want to make sure the client is aware, thoroughly aware of the fact that once they put their house up for sale, they have to change the way they do business on a daily basis. First thing they need to do is they need to make sure of the fact uh, that all of their valuables that they may have, such as wallets, jewelry, uh, tools, anything like that that would be of value are locked away. 
In fact, you want to make darn sure clients know that and do that. Because the worst thing you ever want to have happen is, is to get find out that somebody came through the house to take a look at it, and now the client's wallet is missing, or their watch is missing, or their marriage ring is missing. You don't want that. You want to say, listen, people are going to be through your house. You need to take precautions. You need to make sure that you lock things up. Okay, That's very, very important. You also want to talk about things like, hey, make sure the house is kept clean. It's vacuumed. The windows are clean, which is all how to make the house look nice to show. In fact, one of the things that you find if you sell a house that you have to get used to if you're a owner of the house, that maybe in the past you didn't get up every morning and make the bed. Now you're going to get up every morning and make the bed. You're going to make sure the bathroom is clean. You're going to make sure that the sinks are clean, no dishes in the sink, that the floors are vacuumed, because guess what? What most people don't realize is that buyers, in a lot of cases, are looking at properties during the day. So while you're at work, there are people looking at your property. Sure, occasionally you may have somebody look at your property at night or on weekends, but a lot of times properties are sold during the or people go through the property during the day. Why? Especially if they're moving to the community. Usually what will happen is the person, when they get ready to transfer there, will end up having where their company will say, well, come on up here on a home hunting tour. And they'll get with a real estate agent, and the real estate agent will take them around and show them a lot of property and spend a whole week with them maybe doing that. Okay, when, when are they doing it? They're doing it during the day. During the day, you're at work. They're looking at your property. That's why it's important. Uh, they're going to talk about things such as lockboxes so that you know, for example, that there's a lockbox that's going to be on the house, typically on the front door or hitched up to the water pipe or someplace it can't be taken away. What that means also you need to tell clients is the fact that, you know what, when an agent is getting ready to show a house, they're going to call you up. They're going to try to get in contact with you to let you know that they're going to show the house to somebody. On the other hand, you need to be aware of the fact that there's a key on the front door in that lockbox that they're going to be able to come into the house. So you need to be aware of that, okay? Very, very important. This also talks about things such as a sign. Believe it or not, some people will find out that they want to sell the house, but they don't want a sign put up. They don't want the neighbors to know that they're moving, which is sort of sad because some, a lot of times the person that may end up buying the house might be a relative of somebody that lives in the neighborhood, especially if you have, for example, uh, parents that move to a community, and now the kids are moving to the area. They may say, hey, you know what? There's a house right across the street for sale. It's a great house. Why don't you move in, and then I can watch the grandkids during the day. So it's not uncommon. Anyway, when you get down to the bottom, you have additional terms, and then you talk about any other kind of fees, like attorney fees or disputes. Okay? So this is only a portion of the agreement. Um, we will talk more about this the next time um, you know, that we meet and discuss this particular chapter. With that, I want to remind you about the fact, that again, that you need to uh, make sure you download that study guide. You need to be looking those answers up. Remember, I don't want to see less than 100 on that exam. I want you to all do well, and it's just going to take W-O-R-K. So with that, I want to thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you back here again for show number 12. Have a nice day.